Okay, so we are uh, continuing our long story short. And Pastor Matt started us on this journey, and, and we're not going to go over a lot, but just to track with this, uh, first week he talked about God in the beginning, God created, uh, so we, you know, that foundation that God is everything. And then we talked about creation, then he talked about the fall, and then last week we talked about Noah and Abraham, and he, and he talked about God giving us uh, an expectation of hope, right? The message of hope that God is starting to play out in Scripture, so today, we're going to continue and we're going to move into Exodus. And, and as we move into Exodus, what I want us to all understand is this. Anybody that likes to read stories, write stories, even if you like movies, anytime that you're engaged in a story, there's this thing called character development. Meaning, while you are, are going through the story, you have characters that are being developed as you come to understand them, you come to know them, and a good storyteller will actually get you so engaged and involved with the character that you actually start living out what's happening to the character in the story. You, you get so connected with that person if a story is, is a good story that brings you and draws you in. So as we're doing this long story short, it's important to understand, and, and, and we need to say this constantly through this, that God is the main character of the story. We're not. I'm not. The other people in the story are not. We're going to look at Exodus. So Moses is one of the, the main characters of the Exodus story. Moses is not the main character. God is the main character. And as we enter into this portion of the story... God is going to reveal himself more to us. He's developing who he is so that we can see him and understand him and take hold of him in new ways with our relationship with him as we grow. So I want us to understand that. That's what we're going to get to is God revealing more of himself to us through this story, through Exodus. He's going to show us some things in uh, Exodus that he hasn't shown us yet. But I want to take just a moment, and I want us to track together how we get to this moment of the Exodus. Now, some of us might already know this story, and we know all these parts, but there's a possibility that some of us haven't heard how we get to the moment of the Exodus. And I just want to track through that very quickly um, so that we're all on the same page. So, Pastor Matt, you know, talking about Abraham, God appears to Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You are the man of the promise. He gives him this promise, and he says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. Abraham then has a son, Isaac. Isaac is a child of the promise. Isaac then has a son, Jacob. Jacob is the child of the promise. And then Jacob has his sons who become Israel, right? This becomes the 12 tribes of Israel through his children. One of his sons being Joseph, the younger. You can read all of this in Genesis. The, it's, a, it's a wonderful story if you've never read through Genesis. But Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers out of anger and hatred towards him. They sell him into slavery. And through the course of Joseph's life and the hardships of his life, Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt. He goes from being a slave to the second most powerful man in Egypt because of God blessing him and using him. Then a widespread famine, a famine breaks out all over the place. And because God used Joseph to prepare for it, Joseph's family 
was forced to come to Egypt in order to find food and able to, to be able to survive. And because of that, Joseph is brought back together with his family and his brothers who assumed he was dead and his father who assumed he was dead. They are reunited again with Joseph. And because of this, Jacob takes his entire family now, when I say his entire family, that's all of his offspring and their family and all, all of Israel leaves where they are at and they move to Egypt. Okay? While they are there, they multiply, they increase, God blesses them, they prosper. And the nation of Israel grows and grows and grows. To the point that when we get to the beginning of Exodus, when we start reading the book of Exodus, it tells us that a king comes to power in Egypt. And that king does not know anything about Joseph. He knows nothing about where the Israelites came from. He knows nothing about the way they have served the kingdom. Instead, all he knows is that they are large and they are powerful and he becomes fearful of them. The Bible tells us this king looks at them and he says, if we don't do something, they would be able to overthrow us. So his solution to this is this king takes the nation of Israel and he puts them into slavery. And they're in slavery for 400 years. Then we come to the birth of Moses. And we're not going to focus a lot on Moses, but this is going to help us get to where we need to be. Anybody that's watched the Ten Commandments or read it in the Bible, you at least know some of the story of Moses. You have Moses that is born. He's an Israelite. And the, the Pharaoh at the time, he has this idea on how to control the population. And what he decides to do is he says, let's kill every male child two years of age and younger. So let's instill some population control. And what Moses' mother does is takes the baby, takes Moses, puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile, and sends him away into the hands of God and basically says, save my baby. The Bible tells us that Moses is then found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter takes him and pulls him from the river. And she raises him as one of her own. And Moses is raised as part of the royal family. Once Moses is older, there's a moment where Moses sees an Egyptian guard mistreating an Israelite and Moses intervenes. And in the course of intervening, Moses kills the Egyptian. The Bible tells us that Moses then hid the Egyptian's body, but he became fearful of what would happen, the repercussions of what he did. So Moses flees from Egypt and he heads out into the wilderness. When he gets there, Moses then meets his wife-to-be. He gets married. He starts having a family. He starts becoming, he becomes a shepherd. And for the next 40 years, Moses lives in the wilderness, raising his family and living this very simple life, but a happy life with his family and, and doing just what, that's what he did for the next 40 years. Until the Bible tells us Moses was watching the flock and all of a sudden God appears to him in a burning bush. And in that burning bush, God says, Moses, I'm sending you back, you're heading back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you as the instrument to save my people. This then brings us to the moment of the Exodus. But here's what I want to focus on for a moment. I've been asking the question, what was life like for the Israelites? I've been asking this question, you know, we focus on Moses a lot and we focus on what God does and, and which we should and we're going to focus on that here in a little bit. But I've asked the question, what was it like to be 
one of these Israelites. Now, picture this. They've been in captivity. They've been in slavery for 400 years. That means that anyone alive at that time was born into slavery. That was all they knew. That was all they experienced. That means that if I was one of them, I had lived my entire life in a constant and continual state of struggle. Mistreatment. Hard labor. I was treated as property and not as a person. And so I started asking the question to myself. If I was in that place, is it possible that I would spend most of my life in a state of frustration and anger. Now let me explain why I asked that question because picture this. Picture if you were born into this reality. You are an Israelite and you were born into slavery and you go your entire life hearing your parents and your grandparents and hearing other people around say things like this. We're God's chosen people. We're the people of the promise. He made a promise to Abraham. And he made that promise to Isaac. And he made that promise to Jacob. God has made a promise to us. But you look at the current situation of your life. And you don't see any reality of that promise. I wonder how often they got frustrated and angry. Right? You you hear, we are God's chosen people but yet you don't feel like it, you're not living like it, and you really aren't experiencing it. I wonder how often did they struggle with having actual feelings of hope, but instead all they saw was the negative side of life and despair. And again, lived in a constant state of anger towards their circumstances. I wonder, did they find themselves asking the question of why? I put myself again in that story and asked myself, what would I probably be saying if I was one of them? And I would probably find myself coming to God on a regular basis and saying, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this the place that you are causing us to be? Why is it like you're not even hearing us? And then I would start saying things to God like, where are you? Where are you? If you're so great and powerful, if you are so loving, if you made these promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if we are your chosen people, then where are you? I wonder if I would be asking those questions. I wonder if I'd be asking the question, God, do you even care? Do you even care that this is the reality of my life? Do you even care that they're mistreating us? Do you even care that you're a joke because we talk about the promise, but we're not living out the promise? I wonder how many times they maybe started asking themselves, is the promise even real? Right? They, they've heard this passed down from their fathers and from their grandfathers, this promise. And I wonder how many of them found themselves sitting there saying, you know what, I've heard this in my entire life, but nothing I see in front of me makes me buy it. Is the promise even real? I say all this because I want us to put ourselves in a place of reflection. And I want to know, 
or I want us to think about, you know, this is something that God's been taking me through, myself through. I want us to ask ourselves, do we ever find ourselves asking the same questions in our own lives? Now, here's the thing. Some of the stuff I'm going to ask us us to think about, we don't talk about this in church, right? We don't talk about our struggles as much. Church is where you come and and we say things like, God is awesome, God is great, God's in control, God's going to do amazing things. Uh, But normally we don't actually open up and usually say things like, you know what, I'm struggling. That's a rare thing to hear in most churches. But I wonder... Is it possible any of us have ever found ourselves in a situation in life, a season in life, and maybe there's some of us that are, might even be in that season right now? Well, you look at everything around you and you just sit there, and if you got just your own thoughts, not what we portray to the people around us, but if you're alone with your own thoughts, is it possible you find yourself saying, Why? God, why is life like this? Why am I going through this? Why is this the place you're allowing me to be? Is it possible we ever find ourselves crying out to God and saying, where are you? I go to church and I read your Bible or I hear people talk about how awesome and powerful you are and how loving and caring, but if you want my honest opinion, God, I don't feel you and I don't see you. Where are you? Do we ever find ourselves looking at God and honestly saying in our thoughts, in our heart, do you even care about anything I'm saying? Do you care about what I'm feeling? Do you care at all? Do we ever sit there and struggle by hearing what the promises of God are and sitting there going, you know what, I hear those promises, but I really struggle. Are those promises even real? So here's the thing. In churches and in Christianity, I've grown up in church. I was born into church, right? I'm not saying this to downgrade Christians by any means. But these are questions you don't really hear people struggling with in church out loud. This is not the stuff that most people feel comfortable because what happens is if you feel like you do talk about it, if you feel like you do put it out there, you're going to be the odd one. But can I be really honest with you? If we really got honest with ourselves, we'd discover that more people might be struggling with some of the same things that we're wrestling with than just us. And church should be the one place where we are able to throw these things out there and say, I'm struggling. Ultimately, let me bring it down to this. Do you ever find yourself looking at your Christian walk, looking at your faith? Now, here, here, understand what I'm saying, faith. I'm not trying to say that you doubt God's existence. I'm not trying to say that you doubt who Jesus is. I'm not trying to say that you don't believe in the crucifixion or in the resurrection or any of that stuff. When I say struggling in your faith, do you ever find yourself looking at your life and everything in you wants to scream out to God, there has to be more to life than this? There has to be more to church than this. There has to be more to faith than this. Ultimately, do you find yourself just feeling like all you're doing is living life, going through the motions of faith? And you're like, wait a minute. 
Like outwardly, I'm presenting a very confident and cool demeanor and my faith is strong. But inwardly, I am like, what in the world? I don't know how long I can keep going like this. Something has to change. Something has to change. I'll give you an example of one of the times in my life. And then I'm going to get a little bit more personal about here and now. But I remember very vividly, there was a time when I was serving in a church and I was in such a low place spiritually. I was in such a low place mentally when it came to ministry and what God was doing that every Sunday morning, now hear me when I say this, I'm not blaming the church for this, but every Sunday morning as I was driving to church, I, I, I would physically, I would get sick. And either before I'd leave the house or by the time I got to the church building, at some point every Sunday morning I would get so physically ill, I would actually have to go to the bathroom and I, and I would throw up. Because spiritually I was struggling in such a horrible way. But did you ever think I could walk into the church and share that with anybody? Like, guys, I am struggling so much to be here. I literally throw up every time when I think about coming. That's really not what you want to share at church. <laughs> Like, you people make me sick. <laughs> Again, it wasn't their fault. But here's the thing. Let me get a little personal just for a moment. Personal about today. This sermon, I've wrestled with it for the last three weeks because I actually had it all completely done. And then God really started impacting me with some stuff with it that I started wrestling with it on a personal level. Because God started really hitting me with something where he says, David, you can't get up there and preach this just like you're just sharing some facts because you got some issues that you need to work on. So let me, again, just be personal for a moment. I, I can't put a time frame on it. I can't say X amount of months. But I'm, so I'll just say in the last months... Six, seven, whatever. Um, I have been struggling a lot with my faith. Again, I'm not struggling with who Jesus is. I'm not struggling with what he did on the cross. I'm not struggling with what he did in the resurrection. I'm not struggling with any of that. What I'm struggling with is I feel like I'm in a very dark, scary, dry, wilderness type place. Where it's like all of life, just like, and when I say life, I mean just like the excitement and passion and, and drive and all of those things have just been sucked out of me. And I find myself looking at God and being like, do you even care that I feel this way? Do, do you even notice that I feel this way? Do, do you even notice, God, that there are days when I just want to give up? Right? And when you say things like that, I'm not talking about give up on life or anything like that, but I'm just like, God, I just want to, I, I, I want to walk, I'm, I just, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Because I feel many times that my day-to-day -day life is just simply going through the motions. It's simply uh, just, it's empty, it's dry, it's not passionate, it's not exciting, it's none of those things. And I struggle with it, and I cry out to God, and I look at Him and I say, God, Something needs to change. Something needs to change. And so when I look at the Israelites, and I think about the Exodus, I've asked myself these questions. I wonder if, if there were these types of people in Israel at this time, and, and these people in slavery, and I ask myself, are there people, some of us might fall into these three. 
And I've been tempted with all three of these, right? I've been tempted to, to give in to all three of these. One being good and two not being very, or two, uh, one being good and two not being very good at all. The first one is this. I wonder if there were people in the Israelites. I wonder if there were some that were there that had just given up. Or they were really close to it. Like they were just like, one more thing, God. One more thing. And I'm done. One more. Doesn't matter how big or small. One more. Or were there some that was just like, I'm done. I'm defeated. It's it. I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. I, I don't care if the promise is real. I don't know if the promise is real. I don't know if anything's going to change. I'm just done. I'm not going to look for it anymore. I'm not going to strive for it anymore. I'm just done. But then I wonder, were there some of the people that they weren't defeated in the sense that they were done, but they were defeated in a different way? There were those that just said, you know what? It's just going to be easier to conform. Right? Yeah, I'll keep my faith, but I'm just going to conform to the world around me because it's a whole lot easier. I'm just tired of having to... Can, can I just... Let's just be blunt about it. Being a Christian sometimes sucks. How many times do you hear a pastor say that? <laughs> hey, sign up. It sucks. But it does. There are times when I just want to, you know what, God? I'm cashing in because I'm just going to conform and I'm tired of trying. I'm tired. Yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep coming to church. You know, I'll, do, I'll, you know, I'll hold on to my faith. But you know what? I just, I'm just going to conform like everybody else. Because it's just too darn hard. And I don't want to put up with it anymore. Then there's the third group. And those are the people that stood firm. Right? Those are the people that said, you know what? This is hard and this is difficult and I don't like it. And I want it to change. But you know what? God is awesome. He is real. And he made a promise. And I'm holding on to that promise no matter what comes against me. There are some days that I feel like I'm that person. There's other days I feel like the other two. Today's a good day. I feel like the third. But I'll be honest with you. There's other days I feel like the other two. Lord, I just want to give up. I don't want to try anymore. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. I don't know what needs to change. That's where I find myself, right? God, I don't know what needs to change, but something's got to change. So I ask the question again. I'm not putting words in anybody else's mouth. I don't want to say that for you. Here's the thing. I'm going to be completely honest with you. If every single person that is sitting in this room right now and every person watching is hearing me say all this and you're going like, what is he talking about? Like, I've not experienced that whatsoever. I am 100% extremely excited for you. And hold on to that with everything you have. But I'm going to take the chance there's some other people in this room watching. They're like, oh yeah, I've been there. I'm tired. I just want to give up. Something's got to change. And I want to say that because I want to give us permission to look at each other and say, something's got to change. It's okay to say that. Something has to change. Something has to change. So here's the thing. I want to give you three things that God has challenged me with, encouraged me with, that comes with the exodus, that meets me right where I'm at with everything that I just got saying. And I'm going to share them with you with this. Please understand that I am sharing with you three things that God has put on me. 
And I'm doing this with the intention that maybe it'll speak to some of you. But these are three things that God has put on me. Here's number one. What are three things that God shows us through the Exodus story that help us when we say something has to change? We need an Exodus. We need to be free. Here's the first one. God reminds us through the Exodus story that he is the great I am. Now, as we go into this a little deeper, I want to just prepare everybody. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. If you use your phone, pull it out. If you have a pew Bible near you, pull it out. Here's why. I'm going to have a few scriptures up on the screen, but I'm also going to have three, ver- three scriptures on the screen that I'm going to, let's look them up. Because here's the other thing I think we need to get back to in church. You need to get used to using that Bible. All right? That's our sword. So we need to start doing some training with our sword a little bit. So I'm encouraging you right now. Have your Bible ready. Because here in a little bit, I'm going to give you some scriptures that we're going to look up. And we're actually going to look them up in the Bible together. So again, God reminds us that he is the great I am. Let me give you a a quote from John Piper that really hit me this week. John Piper says this. He says, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. He says, if you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you will fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Here's where we need to start. I want everybody in this room to understand this very important truth. If you are a follower and believer in Jesus Christ... You, on a daily basis, have to fight the temptation, right? Every single day, every moment of the day, we have to fight the temptation to take our eyes off of the greatness of God and put our eyes on something else. This is the number one scheme that the enemy will use against us is to get us to not focus on the greatness of God, but instead to focus our attention on something that is less. We do this all the time. See, when we think about the Exodus, the first thing that God does in the story of the Exodus is God shows himself to Moses and he reminds Moses that he, being God, must be the primary in our hearts and in our minds. Never secondary. God has to come first. He is the great I am. He has to be the most important person and thing in every aspect of life. Scripture tells us that when God appears to Moses... Moses says, you know, God's like, I'm sending you to my people. And, and, and Moses says, listen, what do I tell them? Who do I say sent you or sent me? And in this moment, God does something that he's never done before. He gives us his name. And it says, God replied to Moses, he says, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. The first thing God does is say, Moses This is who I am. I am the great I am. 
Now, how does this play out in the story of the Exodus? Well, when God shows himself to Moses, he shows himself to the people. And what God does, the very first thing that God does, is he enters into their circumstances by destroying every false god and idol that surrounded them. Let me explain. If you know the story of the Exodus, God had ten plagues that he put upon Israel, or put upon Egypt. These ten plagues had a reason and a purpose. They weren't just God going up, up in heaven going, you know what, I think some frogs would be cool. Let's send, let's, frogs are cool. Let's send some frogs. It, it wasn't God up in heaven saying, you know what, let's send some hail and some, and some fire from heaven. That'll be cool. Let's do that. Each plague had a purpose. And here was the purpose. Every plague actually con- like, fought against and destroyed a false god of Egypt. First plague, God turns all the water into blood. That goes against the Nile God. The second plague, he sends frogs. This goes against the fertility God who had a head of a frog. He sends gnats. The Bible actually says that God created gnats out of the dust of the ground. This is the language of the Bible. This goes against the God of the earth. God sends flies. Head of a fly. He sends the death of cattle. Head of a cow. He sends boils. This goes against the God of healing. He sends hail and lightning. This goes against the God of the sky. He sends locusts. This goes against the God of storms and disasters. He sends darkness. This goes against the sun God. And then even the tenth one, when he kills the firstborn of all of Egypt, this goes against Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh set himself up as a god to Egypt. So the first thing that God does is he comes into the situation and he says, you know all those idols that you follow? I'm going to show you that they are nothing compared to me. Because I am the great I am. Why is this important to us? Well, let's look up Isaiah 42 verse 8. So Isaiah 42, verse 8. And I'm going to give us a minute to look it up. Well, not probably a whole minute. Let's go about like 15 seconds. But let's look up Isaiah 42, verse 8. And let's see what God says when it comes to him setting himself up as the great I am. So scripture says this. Chapter 42, verse 8. God says, I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God is telling us that he says, listen, there will never come a moment in your life where I will accept you putting something before me. Ever. I am the great I am. I am the primary. I am number one. I will not allow anything to compete in your life with me. So here's the question. Here's the question, child of God. Here's the question, you that are are his beloved. Those of us that have put our faith in him and trust in him. Here's the question. At this moment in your life, what is competing with God? Is it possible that there's things in your life that is competing with God being the primary? Here's the thing. Idolatry is anything that removes God from being the primary in our lives. 
So you see the list there, some modern idols. See, here's the thing. When I was a little kid, I always thought, hey, this is cool. I don't need to worry about idolatry because I don't have a carved calf in my bedroom that I worship, right? I'm not an idol worshiper. I don't have to worry about idolatry. I don't have idols that I worship, but you know what I do? Think about this. Some of the idols that we can worship in today's life, we can make work an idol. We can make success and the drive for money an idol. We can make our possessions an idol. We can, I'll give you an example of this. This is going to sound really, really stupid. When I was younger, even now, I, I like movies. I have a lot of movies. I used to have a huge collection of movies, and I was always very bent out of shape because you get the movie, the DVD, it comes in the nice little sleeve, right? I had them all, all, all done up. I hadn't, you know, they were just, I put a lot of time in it. It was stupid. But anyways, I remember very vividly inviting this family from the church over, this young family with young kids. And I remember sitting there, and we're playing, and we're talking, and we're having a great time. And then all of a sudden, this little two-year-old kid walks in with one of, my, one of my movies, and he took my little sleeve that goes over the movie, and he, like, ripped it right down the middle. Everything in me was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't act that way. But inside, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then God, this is where God started teaching me a lesson. He's like, David, it's a movie. Who cares? Who cares? It was an idol. Because it was more important than that kid at that moment. Anyways, possessions can become an idol. Our image can become an idol. Our reputation and how we think people need to see us become an idol to us. And we put all of our time into that. Our hobbies can become an idol. Our family can become an idol. Again, these are not bad things, but they can become the primary. And become more important to us than God. Our own happiness can become an idol. Hear me, our struggles can become an idol. Let me explain how our struggles can become an idol. Our struggles become an idol to us when we allow our struggles and our hardships and our difficulties, when we start letting them be bigger than God to us. Like if you have a struggle or a hardship or a wound in your life and in your mind and in your heart, that struggle or that wound is bigger than God, then that has become an idol to you because there is nothing bigger than God. Our sin can become an idol. Our sin that I protect and I chase after, the things that I know God doesn't want in my life, that can become an idol to me. All of these things can become the primary and push God out of the way. And can I tell you something? If you feel distant from God at any point in time, if you're struggling and saying, God, something's got to change, the first place you have to start is asking God, has something become the primary other than you? Is there something that has become more important to me than you? Because that's the first way that we're going to start feeling distant from God. The second thing is he's not just the great I am. God also shows us in the Exodus that he is the promise keeper. Okay? He tells Abraham in Genesis, uh, when he gives the promise to Abraham, and he tells Abraham they're going to be a great nation, he's going to be a great nation to have offspring, and, and, and he's going to bless the peoples of the world, he also gives him some bad news. He looks at Abraham, and he says, Abraham, listen, for 400 years, your descendants are going to be strangers in a country, and they're going to be enslaved, and they're going to be mistreated. And he says, but I'm going to punish that nation. I'm going to come against that nation. In the fourth generation, I'm going to free your descendants, and I'm going to bring them back here. God makes a promise. He's the God of the promise. 
Then God tells Moses in Exodus, there's this moment at the burning bush where God is talking to Moses. He says, Moses, I've heard and I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out to me. I've seen what their slave drivers are doing to them. I'm concerned about their suffering. So guess what, Moses? I'm sending you to rescue them. I'm going to use you to bring them out. I'm going to fulfill the promise. See, here's the thing. God always fulfills his promises. So this morning, I want to give you some promises that I have always known in my life, but I find myself when I'm in the dark moments, it's easy for me to not live under these promises. It's easy for me to forget these promises and not live my life based on the promises that God has given. Here's the first one. God has promised that he has never caught off guard with anything you ever have to go through in life. See, I'm caught off guard all the time. I'm like, God, where'd that come from? Like, what in the world is that? Like, did you not see that coming? And God reminds us by even this promise, he knew even before the slavery would happen, he told Abraham, listen, I am not caught off guard. I know what's going to happen. I know where they're going to be. I want you to understand, when you find yourself in a position, in a place where you are struggling, and you are like, how did I get here? You can stand upon the promises that God already knew that that was where you were going to be, and he was already there waiting for you, and he's right there with you. Because he promised such. And that leads to promise number two. God promises, I'm here, right with you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't care how dark it seems to you, I'm right here with you. I'm right by your side. Again, I was here before you got here. I've been with you the entire time. I'm going to be with you until we get through this. And I'm going to be with you for the rest of eternity. I'm right here. Even when you don't feel me, even when you don't see me, even when you don't hear me, I'm right here. Which leads to promise number three, where he tells us, I'm in control. I got this. This is the promise God has. Even to this promise here, he says, listen, they're going to be in slavery, and it's going to seem like all hope is lost, but it's all right, because I got this. I'm in control. It's not your job to be the one in control. It's not your job to have the answers. Your job is to trust me. I'm the one that's in control, which leads to promise number four, where God promises, and I'm always working for your good. It may not feel like it. It may not seem like it. You might even have a hard time believing it based on where you find yourself, but I am always working for your good, which leads us to the last promise, and it's simply this. God reminds us, and I win. I win. I'm in control. I got this. I'm with you, and I win. What I want to happen is going to happen. I win. And when you trust me and you follow me and you stay in step with me and you put me as the primary, you win too. I want you to turn to uh, Psalms 145. Let's look up our next one, Psalms 145. And just an encouragement, keep your finger at Psalms 145 because the last one we're going to look up is there also. But Psalms 145, verse 13. Psalms 135, verse 13 says this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. 
Because of this, the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. Did you hear that? You can trust the promises of God because God tells us, my kingdom is everlasting, my dominion will endure for all generations, and because of that, I keep my promises. The Exodus story reminds us that God is the promise keeper, and here's the last one. Not only is he the great I am, not only is he the promise keeper, he is the way maker. In the Exodus story, he tells Moses this. He says, listen, Moses, you're going to go into a situation that seems hopeless. You're going to go into a situation that you're not going to know what to do or how to do it. You're going to go into a situation that if it was left to you, you would fail miserably. But God says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he's going to let you go. Here's the thing. I want to give you an illustration about when we think about the Waymaker, and and, and I just want to encourage you that maybe this is the way you look at life sometimes. Friday night, my wife and my daughters left, and they came here to the church to come to missions night. And as I was sitting at home, I got this overwhelming feeling, like put my iPod in, and I started to go for a bike ride around town. And uh, just listening, I was thinking about the sermon and doing that. And, and it was dark out, but most of the lights were pretty well, well lit until I got to this one street. And when I turned onto the street, I, it was like four blocks of just pitch black. I mean, like nothing. I could not see anything. Couldn't see the road. Couldn't see nothing. Pitch black for like four blocks. And then there, there was this like super bright like uh, street light at the end. And when I turned onto that road, I had this moment where I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn off because I can't see what's in front of me. I can't see what the street condition is like. I can't see if something's going to run out in front of me. I can't see anything. But then I was in this like competing moment because the street that I was on was actually a hill. And here's the deal. Every time I get on a bike, I still turn into that little 12-year-old, right? Hills are fun. And I'm like, I want to go down the hill, right? The hills are fun. I want to get... Hills are fun. So I was in this moment of like, I want the excitement of the hill, but at the same time, I'm looking and I can't see what's going on in front of me. And all of a sudden, God hit me with something as I was sitting there and I was thinking about the sermon and I was thinking about all the points. He said, David, that's the problem. He said, that's the problem. Because you find yourself in life at places where you can't see what's going on. You can't see what's in front of you. You can't see the dangers. You're stuck in darkness. You are in a place where you have no control. You don't know what the answers are. You don't know where to turn. And what you do, David, is you, is you stop focusing on what you need to be focusing on. Instead, you start focusing on fear. You start speculating about everything that's out there that you can't see. You start focusing on what could happen to you or what bad could happen in that situation. What you do, David, is you focus on everything else that you can't see instead of focusing on the thing you can see. And that's me. Can I tell you that I took the road, I got through just fine, and it was an amazing just moment of God saying, this is the life I want to give you sometimes, David. You're not going to know why you're there. You're not going to know what's going on around you. You're not going to understand why certain things happen to you or what I'm even asking of you. You're going to look at me and say, God, why did you put me in this place? And he says, David, in those moments, stop looking at all the things you can't see and focus just on the things you can see. And that's me. These are the two thoughts that came to mind in that. Number one, let us never fear a present circumstance if we're walking with a present God. 
Don't get overwhelmed in a present circumstance if you're choosing to walk with a present God. And I can't take credit for the next one because it wasn't my statement, but it comes from Corey Tenboom. She says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. See, most of us find ourselves in places where we want to give up because we can't see what God's doing. And that's when God says, listen, I'm not going to show you what I'm doing. Just trust me. Just trust me. Because I'm the way maker. And here's the other thing. I don't know about you, but I think it would be kind of cool to see God split the Red Sea. I think that'd be kind of cool. Do you not realize that if you want to see God do impossible things in life, you have to be willing for him to bring you to impossible situations? If God only keeps you in the situations that you can control, you will never see the impossible power of God. So we have to be willing to put ourselves in the hands of God and allow him to bring the way before us. Now, as we close, Psalms 145. I just want to give us some application and then we're done. So Psalms 145, I want us to look at verses uh, 18 through 20. So what do we do? If you're sitting here saying, okay, I, I want change. Something's got to change. Something's got to be different. Well, let's look at what God tells us to do. Psalms 145, starting in verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to those, or to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. Here's the, here's the thing as we end. Real simple. Here's the thing. If you want things to start changing in your life, if you want to start seeing God bring us out of some of the funks that we find ourselves in, it comes down to three things that I see in this scripture. First off, you need to cry out to him. Not just once, not just twice. You cry out to him until God shows up. You cry out to him until God shows up. Notice what he says. God says, I am near to those who cry out to me in truth. Cry out to God. Second, we need to start getting our awe back. We need to start being in awe of God. Notice what he says. He says that those who fear me, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him, those that are in awe of God. We just got done singing a song this morning that talks about trembling in the presence of God. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you you trembled in the presence of God? trembled in the awesome presence of God. Now, how do we start getting our awe back? Can I just challenge us with something with this? This is the encouragement, but it's a challenge also. We can get our awe back of God if we start speaking more about God. Share your stories about what God's done in your life. Share your stories of how he's showing himself. Listen to other people's stories. You know, it's really easy. Think about your day yesterday and all the conversations that you had with people. How many of your conversations were just two of you sitting down or three of you sitting down or a group of Christians sitting down and saying, let's just talk about how awesome God is. Let's just talk about him. Let's talk about how awesome he is in scripture. Let's talk about how awesome he is in our lives. We talk about everything else. Can I, can I tell you one thing? I'm tired of listening to people talk about COVID. That's nothing against COVID. There's just nothing else to say about it, right? There's nothing left to say. We've said it all. I'm tired of hearing people talk about the election. Not that it's not important. There's just nothing left to say. But man, we can never run out of things to talk about with when it comes to God. We talk about everything else under the sun. But man, we can get our awe back if we start listening and talking to one another about God. And here's the last one. We need to love God with everything that we have. That means if something has gotten in the way and become primary to us, we need to get that out of our lives. 
We need to put him back in the primary and love him with everything we have. So here's the thing. Then we're going to pray. Things will change when we cry out to him because he promises he is near us. Things will change when we start getting our awe back because he says that he will hear those who fear him and he saves those who fear him. And lastly, he watches over those who love him. Those are some awesome promises that God gives to us. So if you're like me and you're in a place where you're saying, God, something's got to change. These are three things that God's shown me, David. This is three things you need to start doing. And then step back and watch what I do. Because I'm awesome. Let's pray. Gracious God, I give you praise for our time here this morning. I just thank you again for the celebration that we have in your presence. But I pray that we leave here just inspired by you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will ignite in us that desire to chase after you with everything that we have. Lord, I get it. There are so many people that look at religion, look at church, look at Christianity, and they just see a bunch of dryness. They just see a bunch of maybe even hypocrites. And that, Lord, I'll admit it. I am a hypocrite all the time, but you are gracious and you are loving and you have mercy on me and you forgive. And I thank you so much for that, that you always give me more and more chances. You always say, David, even though you screwed up today, I still love you and I'm still here with you. Just keep chasing after me. Lord, and even in the moments of the driest moments of my, of my faith and when I just feel like there's no place to turn and there's no place to go and I feel the burden is too big and I feel like nothing is going to change, Lord, let me take my eyes off what I can't control. Let me take my eyes off the things that I can't see and let me just focus on you. You are the great I am. You are the way maker and you are the promise keeper. Lord, continue to meet and move in your church. We give you praise in all of it. We want you to be glorified in our midst. We love you. We thank you for hearing us and being here with us this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen. Please go in peace.